Today, we are wrapping up what uh, has been one of the most challenging and important series that we've ever had at New Life. And my hope for all of you is that as we've gone through this, wherever you land on the spectrum of what you believe about God and faith and church and all that, uh, my hope is that this has been helpful. And for those of you, if you've missed any of this or you're not part, we've got several guests today. We just encourage you to get on newlifewichita.com and catch up on this. Uh, because my hope is that for many of you, uh, you have lots of faith. You'd say, I have lots of faith, it's solid. My hope is that this has helped fill in some gaps, hopefully giving you some reassurances and maybe giving you some handlebars to have conversations with the people in your life, friends and family, co-workers who don't believe or they're not sure what they believe when it comes to God. And for those of you that maybe you've had one foot out the door of your faith or out of church, that maybe you've got some questions answered or you've been affirmed in your decision to walk away from a God that never a version of God that never existed to begin with. And again, if you've missed any of this for your sake and for the sake of the people in your life and the conversations that you're going to have at some point with them, that you would go back and listen or re-listen to this series and to share this series with people in your life that they're just, they would put themselves as a none category, no religious affiliation, or they're just done. And maybe they're not necessarily done with God, but they're just done with church because they're in your life. Because today we're wrapping up and I'm going to get a little personal in this final category. And as I talk, my hope is that you will listen through the filter of wherever you are at in your personal faith. Uh, that, and that you'll also listen through the ears of the people in your life that, again, they're, just, they're nuns, no religious affiliation, or they're just kind of done. And to listen through that filter. What I talk about today uh, may apply directly to you. But even if it doesn't, it applies to people that are in your life, people that you care about. And this is me trying to partner with you to be able to have those conversations. So today is for those who are about to, about those, or who are pushing back against the idea of God, and to be brutally honest about the why. So today, a few quotes and a question. The, the first quote is from Thomas Nagel. Thomas Nagel is a professor of philosophy and law at the New York University School of Law, and in 2012, he published a book called, uh, entitled Mind and Cosmos, Mind and Cosmos, which seems harmless enough, but the subtitle created all kinds of drama within the scientific world because the subtitle was this, why the materialist neo-Darwinian conception of nature is almost completely false. I'm sure you guys were just reading this last week, right? Uh, why the materialist, neo-Darwinian conception of nature is almost completely false. And Thomas Nagel is an atheist. But back, in, uh, back in, in his book, he essentially argues that the atheist community and the scientific community essentially have done the very same thing they accuse religious people of doing. They accuse religious people of having a God of the gaps, that any time that there's something that we can't explain, we just go, well, God knows, or God understands, or God just did it, and, and he's essentially saying that the scientific community has done the same thing, because what the scientific community has, they have gaps, and so what they go is, what they say is, well, natural selection did it. You know, we can't explain it, natural selection did it. And in his book, he says natural selection does not and cannot explain some undeniable phenomenon that we all experience in life. But the reason I bring up Thomas Nagel isn't because of that book, but a book that he wrote earlier as an atheist, and he makes a, a huge confession. And for some of your friends, some of your family members, and for some of you, 
This may refer to uh, some of you, something that they or you that you've just never been able to admit or willing to admit. He says in his book, The Last Word, I want atheism to be true. It's bigger than just the data proving. Like, I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent, well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. And, and I personally talked with, with atheists and the nuns and duns for whom this is the core issue. I just can't get them to admit it. And, and you know people, and again, for some of you, that this, this is you. And to admit it, it's a little terrifying because you're smart enough to know that there's a, a big, important difference between I don't believe and I don't want to believe. See, I don't believe it is, you know, I used to believe but then something happened, or I went to school, and then I learned some things that I couldn't reconcile with science, or I finally got out of the, the family bubble of religion that I grew up with, and I went to college or left town, and, and it just, I just stopped. I just, don't, I just don't believe it anymore. I don't want to believe is something entirely different. It has to do with will. And, and here's the question I dig into when I talk to these individuals. I, I talked through, like, okay, did you lose faith over something that happened to you or that you read? Was it because there was some information missing or you kept getting faith-based answers to fact-based questions? Or just did you decide to stop believing because faith became inconvenient? So you just decided to stop believing, but to just go around telling people, like, I just don't want to believe something, well, that's not an argument. So I went out and read stuff and studied stuff to develop, an, to develop support for my unbelief. In, in other words, did your decision to stop believing precede the data you collected to support your unbelief? Because if the issue is needing more information, you can get more information. If it's because you've got questions, you can get answers to questions. If you want God to exist, seek answers. You will find answers. But if your departure from faith is around will and want, like I just don't want it to be true because I want the guilt-free freedom to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, whenever I want, if that's the case, information is never going to suffice. In fact, not long ago, I was having a conversation with a couple of individuals who they would actually say, would say to me, look me in the eye, look you in the eye, and say, we believe in God. We even believe in Jesus. But there is this one particular area of life and morality and sex and sexual intimacy. We have embraced a certain viewpoint when it comes to sexual expression that though it's contrary to the message uh, consistent through both the Old and the New Testament, uh, we have read a self-labeled Christian author who supports our viewpoint. And beyond that, we're just simply not interested in reading or discussing or even considering another author that says anything that would conflict with that viewpoint and the value that we've decided that we want affirmed and embraced. In other words, we know what we want to be true, so we have found someone who wrote a book that supports what we want to be true, and that's the end of it. So see, the nuns and duns do not hold the, the monopoly on avoiding anything that might interfere with the guilt-free freedom of doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want, whenever I want. Blaise Pascal, a 17th century mathematician, a physicist, philosopher, he said people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis on pr of proof, 
but on the basis of what they find attractive. And we're all guilty of this, right? Because very few of us, maybe none of us, are on a truth quest. We're not on a truth quest. We're on a happiness quest. We want to be happy. St. Augustine said we love the truth. We love the truth when it enlightens us. We hate the truth when it convicts us. And we all know this. I mean, just think about back to when you were a kid and you would argue with your parents. Were you trying to get to the truth or were you trying to have your own way? It wasn't, you know, mom and dad, let's just talk this through and figure out what is truth and what is best. You know, oh, dad, you were right. I apologize. You have enlightened me. No. It's like we argue to get our way, not to get to the truth. I remember vividly as a kid, I had gone to my mom with a request. She said no, so I promptly went to my dad, who said yes, and I got my way. Until my dad found out what I had done, and then I lost all of my way because then I got grounded. But, or have you ever had a, an argument with someone, maybe someone close to you, and about halfway through the argument, in your head, you realize, uh-oh, they're right. And what did you do? Did you go, oh, you're right. No, you kept arguing because that's what we do, right? You weren't trying to get to the truth. You're trying to win the argument. You're trying to have your way. And there's, there's just something in us that if left unchecked, we're not willing to acknowledge what we suspect is true and we won't even look for fear of what we might see because we might have to change. We might have to admit we were wrong. And we don't like that. And we, we don't want it. And this means that all the arguments and reasons and objectives that you or your friends or your family may put out there, while they may be true and give us leverage, it means that there's more to this conversation. You may have all these facts and figures and arguments. You know, I shut my parents down years ago. And if anybody asks, I've got like these three or four zingers. But to be honest, though I've met, never admitted it to others, and honestly, I've never really admitted it to myself, I just don't want to believe. I've spoken to people who would say they believe in both God and Jesus, but part of the reason that they rarely, if ever, read the Bible or read the New Testament is because they're afraid they might read something or learn something that would cause them to feel like they need to change. And that might be you. Like, what is it? What is this thing in us that causes us to not look when we're afraid of what we might see? What causes us to refuse to acknowledge what we suspect might be true? I think all of us need to know the answer to that question because it could be that you pre present facts and arguments and, and, and avoid new information, avoid time in the New Testament because if you, if you didn't do all that, then you might have to acknowledge there's some areas where I'm wrong. There's some areas in which I'm guilty. And again, especially for those who keep God at an arm's distance, it, it could be that there are things in your past or uh, that they just seem so big so embarrassing that when you bring, bring those things front and center into your mind, you, you feel an old school word that none of us like to feel. We feel ashamed or we feel embarrassed. And for some, maybe, maybe you've used the cultural label for all those things. You go, when I talk about my past, well, I made some mistakes. I made mistakes. But is it possible that you know it was bigger than mistakes? Is it possible that it moves and transitions from I made mistakes to the fact that I may have sinned, which is a word we don't like. But the, the word sin simply comes from a Greek word, hamateo, or hamarteia. It's an archery term. It just literally means to miss the mark. 
And when we're honest, deep down, we, we know it's bigger than I just made some mistakes. Because you made decisions that violated your own sense of right and wrong, which resulted in someone being hurt. What, what you've called a mistake was actually an intentional choice that you knew was wrong in the moment that resulted in you owing someone something, and in many cases, owing something you can never repay. You can't ever give him or her back their dignity. You can't ever give him or her back their virginity. You can't ever give him or her back those first few years. You can never give your kids back what it was that you took from them when you decided, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, who I want to do it with. Whatever it was you're doing. I mean, there are some things in your life, like me, like all of our lives, that you cannot reconcile, that you cannot make right. And you know as well as I do, the residual consequences and the aftermath and the shrapnel and the wake of those decisions. It follows you around and it just hovers there constantly. And if, if I'm someone who's kept God at an arm's distance, but I, if I crack the door open to that, if I crack the door over that I've just worked forever to convince myself and give, convince others that God's really not part of the, the equation, it's just that nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. Everybody's human. I just made some mistakes. Suddenly, if we really begin to look at it, things get bigger. And I'm going to feel something that honestly I don't want to feel. See, if there's a God, I'm accountable. And I don't want to be accountable. And neither do you. We all want to play God. It's the story of the Garden of Eden. And you might think the story of the Garden of Eden is a myth. But if it's a myth, I'm just telling you, it's the greatest myth in all of history. Because the story of the Garden of Eden explains so much. It is the beginning. It is the initial phase of mankind deciding, God, I don't need you. God, it's... I don't need you. It's the illusion of autonomy. It's the illusion of I'm my own person. I can decide what's right and wrong and ought and ought not. And, and I, I'm a, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I can make my own choices on my own based on how I determine what's right and wrong and ought and ought not. Which always leads to regret. Because unaccountable people always make regretful decisions. Regret... Autonomous people, unaccountable people. Nobody tells me what to do. I can handle it. I can manage outcomes. I can manage consequences. Unaccountable people make regretful decisions that hurt them and hurt others. But if you begin to turn into the direction of and admit God, then you've got to submit to God. And I don't want to submit to God. You don't want to submit to God. Nobody wants to submit. Nobody wants to admit they're, they're wrong. But if God... I've been wrong. And I don't want to admit that. What is that about us? We know in our hearts and our minds that we're wrong. We've got plenty of background and history, documentation we can pull up that shows I was wrong. But when it comes down to looking someone in the eye and just going, I was wrong, there's just something in us. It makes it so difficult. Because the problem is humility. Humility is always the way forward in any relationship. I don't know why it is that we resist it. Because humility makes us bigger. Humility makes us wiser. Humility makes you smarter because humility opens you up to new information. Now as we wrap up this Who Needs God Anymore series, I mean, these are just responses and points of resistance and reluctance to acknowledge God or acknowledge the God of Jesus. It explains why for so many they've developed this arsenal of arguments because they, because you, 
did not want God to be or wanted a different version of God, one that you can control or manipulate to your own sense of what I want. But this brings us to the ridiculously good news that when we acknowledge that the real issue is our resistance, not God's existence, when you get there, you've just taken a big step into what can lead you into an epic narrative. The epic narrative of God is that God is pursuing a relationship with a rebel race that broke relationship with Him. And the great news is that, that once you and I are willing to admit this isn't really about God's existence or science, this is about my personal resistance, once you're willing to do that, you, stop, you step into the stream of humanity that has battled this resistance against God from the beginning of time. You're exactly where you need to be because according to Jesus, to Jesus' version of God, there is forgiveness. Your rebellion my rebellion, your sin, my sin, whatever your mistakes, whatever you want to call them, they become the platform for God to demonstrate His love for you. The Apostle Paul said it perfectly. God didn't just say it. God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still mistakers, no. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was no guarantee that we would respond or love Him back. He took the first step. See, the new atheists, they make a big deal of this. They argue, okay, why, why, forgive, why can't God just forgive everyone? Why the blood and the gore? And why did somebody have to die? Why didn't God just go, you're all just forgiven? Here's, here's the answer to that question. Because God wanted to enter a relationship with mankind. And you cannot have a relationship with someone who won't sacrifice for you. See, when you sacrifice for me, I know you love me. When I sacrifice for you, you know I love you. And if you do not sacrifice for me, then I don't know that you love me. And, and this is at the epicenter of everything that we believe. For those of us that would say we're Christians, we're Jesus follower, followers, this is the middle that God demonstrated His love for you and for me. That He touched down on earth to enter a relationship with mankind and to prove it he sacrificed. Every offense requires forgiveness. Every offense requires coming back together and restitution and reconciliation. For every offense, a price must be paid, and it is paid through Jesus Christ. And the evidence points to the fact, it overwhelmingly points to the fact that we are part of something bigger, and that we have been invited to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And who would want to live the rest of their lives outside of that? Especially if there's something stirring in your heart that thinks this might be true. Because if there's God, then there's basis for moral law. There's a basis for justice. There's a basis for truth. There's a basis for morality and forgiveness. And there is relationship. So if the question is who wants God, well, at certain points, none of us. If the question is who needs God, well, then the answer is all of us. I'm going to end with this, and, and this may be the whole reason you're here today, to hear this, and from this angle. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. After the resurrection, they changed their minds. Because that's what you do after a resurrection. You go, oh, I was wrong. Because I saw you die, I saw you die. 
Uh, I put flowers outside, the big stone of the tomb, and now days later, we're having breakfast together. So James, the brother of Jesus, changes his mind and admits that he was wrong. And he submitted to his brother as his Lord. And he received forgiveness for his vocal and public non-believing and non-following of Jesus. He asked for forgiveness for mocking and rejecting Jesus when Jesus was doing his ministry and all these amazing things. And then in the year 62, the Jewish high priest Annas illegally called together the Sanhedrin, illegally tried him, James, the brother of Jesus, for blasphemy. And then James, because of his unwavering belief in who his brother was, was killed by having stones thrown at him until he was dead. But before he was killed, he wrote a letter. And this priceless, powerful letter was so important that to the local first century church, they meticulously made copies and made copies and circulated everywhere they could. And that letter is in our New Testament. Now, before I tell you what, what James says, imagine James, a man just like you and just like me. Imagine him dealing with the incredible grief and regret. I mean, imagine he's sitting there thinking, all those years. I had all those years to support my brother. I, to have been a part of the amazing things that he taught and that he, that he did. And, and that I could have heard it all. I could have seen it all. I could have been a part of it all. And instead I turned my back on him. All those people kept telling me about these miracles he was performing and I just waved them off. You're so gullible. You're so simple-minded. You're so stupid. That didn't really happen. I had all of my arguments and all of my justifications. But then I stood face to face with my brother who had been tortured and dead and buried for days. And so now I realized I didn't just push my brother away. I had literally pushed God away for all those years. Just imagine James with the shame and the regret because it is not easy to draw near to God when you have worked so hard for so long to push God away. So James, the brother of Jesus, would just say, just, just stop. Just stop pushing. Instead, at whatever point you're willing, no matter how old you are or how long you have pushed God away, run from Him, just stop. And come near to God. And He will come near to you. James says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded you know what this means? It's just figurative language for just admit it. Just admit it. Just acknowledge it. It wasn't just a mistake. You, you did it on purpose. You knew it. Admit it. Just admit you missed the mark. Just admit you're a sinner who God has never stopped loving or ever stopped pursuing no matter how hard or how fast you have run from Him. So James says, purify your hearts. You're double-minded. This phrase is so offensive, but essentially he's just saying, come on, just, just quit playing games. Just acknowledge what you know is true. Even though you might be afraid and still have so many questions, just be honest with yourself and with others. And then something so difficult and, and humble yourself before the Lord. This is how you draw near to anyone. You humble yourself. And regardless of what you've done or how long you've pushed God away, 
Here's how your Heavenly Father will respond. Humble yourself before the Lord and, and He will lift you up. He won't let's leave you there in your guilt or your shame. Be like, no, 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 no. I've paid for that. God, I just thank you so much that we have these amazing documents just have made it through history from the eyewitnesses so that we get the opportunity to have a glimpse of who you are and where we fit into the big story of life and honestly that there is purpose to our life and there is meaning to our life and that it all ties into something bigger and grander and I pray for all of us because we have those moments where we doubt or we struggle or we want to push you away or we want to run the opposite direction of you and just that we may go somewhere but you don't and that you're always willing to to draw near when we're ready even if we banged ourselves up and created some blood and scars God you're just you're ready to help us pick up the pieces to grow and learn and to be transformed so I just thank you for that for those that God are still just working through, I pray that you would reveal yourself in just unmistakable ways in their personal life. So thank you for all this. In the, in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, again, it's been a, it's been a great journey over the last few weeks. If, if you missed, please, please go back and listen. And also, if you're someone that either over the past few weeks or even from today, honestly, there's just some of this has stirred up. You'd like to be able to ask some questions or have some conversations about this. Please don't hesitate just to reach out to me. I'm always good for coffee or lunch or a good ale. So just bam. And uh, we'll have some conversation. Or for if you're a lady and you prefer to talk to a woman, we've got some great people on our leadership team, men and women. I'd be more than happy to connect you with. And they'd love to have a conversation with you as well. So please, please just take that opportunity.